You may be seated. After singing that great song, uh, sometimes it's hard to sit down, amen, because you just want to shout and praise the Lord. Uh, be honest, we I kind of want to run around the church and shout hallelujah a couple times, and uh, so y'all just give me time. I'll you know run out and do that. <laughs> uh, preacher said one time he said uh, y'all better come up and catch my mule because I'm about to run. <laughs> well, listen, uh, God is good to us, isn't He? Uh, he's better to us than we deserve, and uh, that is a true fact. I'm going to ask you today if you would take the Word of God and turn to First Timothy chapter one. 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. That's right in front of 2 Timothy. Maybe that'll help you out a little bit. 1 Timothy chapter 1. All right, now, if you would, go ahead and please stand. We're going to begin reading in verse 17 of that chapter. Word of God states, beginning in verse 17, Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I commit unto thee, Son, Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Now, Father, as we come before your throne of grace, we ask, Lord, for strength and guidance this day. Father, help us as we bring this lesson to these folks, Lord. May this lesson be a help and an encouragement, but also, Father, may it be instruction to them. Father, may it be a warning as well. And, Father, may it be an opportunity for those, Lord, to get right with you. Others, Lord, to continue their faithful service and then others to be saved. And then, Father, we ask now that you might take charge here. Lord, already we know that you are so blessed. Already we know that you are in much high favor today. And we thank you for that. And, Lord, our souls do pour out unto thee this day. Help us, Lord, to worship you in spirit and in truth. In these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. I want to speak to you today on the simple subject of preventing, preventing a spiritual shipwreck. Preventing a spiritual shipwreck. Now, I know there's been a lot in the news here lately about the Titanic and about the little sub went down and so forth and uh, it imploded and things happened, lives were lost, monies were spent. And all kinds of things happened because of that. News media, uh, differing stories, uh, confusion about it as well. But there was one thing they were going down to do, and they were going down to look at a shipwreck. 
a ship which was actually supposed to be unsinkable, but yet that ship sank. And sometimes in our life, in our Christian life, we may think that we are a ship that is unsinkable, but sometimes things do happen. And I want to try to help you today to prevent that. I want to try to help you today to make sure that you don't become a shipwreck in the spiritual sea of our lives. And I want you to understand some things that the devil puts out there for us. The devil tries his best to bring us along his side, especially when we are Christian. Because if he can bring us along his side and whisper on our ears these little things, these little liberal thoughts or liberal understandings, if he can whisper these things into our ears, it'll be much easier for us then not to serve the Lord It'll be much easier for us not to listen to the preaching when it's preached. It'll be easier for us to not read our Bibles. It'll be easier for us not to pray and even believe in prayer. In fact, it'll be even easier for us to eventually just quit coming to church altogether. God is not pleased with that. God does not want us to be shipwrecked. He wants us to be vessels that move forward and arrive at the destination in complete and and, in a beautiful way. So today, I want us to think about these things. Now, uh, Paul is an apostle. Uh, He's called by God. He has been been enabled by God. And let me share this with you. If God calls you into something, He will enable you to do it. Amen? If God calls you to the work, God's going to call and bring the ability for you to do that work, no matter what it may be. It may be just simply standing at the back door and passing out uh, bulletins when people come in. It may be going out to the parking lot when it's pouring down rain and picking the umbrella up and taking it out there and covering up some uh, expecting mother as she's coming into the door. It may be doing something else. It may be simply picking up trash on the church floor or finding something on the outside that you pick up and put it in the trash can. God's going to give us the ability to do that just as much as He'll give us the ability to go out and sow in, to go out and lead people to the Lord, to go out and visit and invite people to the church, to teach a Sunday school class, to preach a message to play uh, some instrument, whether it be a piano or an organ or some other type of instrument that can be played in a church. God gives us that ability, and that's what we want you to understand today about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul at one time breathed out persecutions against the church, but once he got saved, God gave him the ability to take everything that he had learned, to take every gift that God had given him, and use it for the ministry. He had enabled him, and he he was counted then faithful by God, and God put him into the ministry by the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, it was him who called upon him there on the road to Damascus when he said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And later on there in the book of Acts, you find that Paul actually accepts the Lord and moves forward and is called into the ministry and does that. And then Paul began to do the very same thing. Uh, We've been teaching about discipleship on Wednesday nights and just started this past Wednesday night in the soul winning. And then we find here that Paul was a a part of discipleship himself. As an early young Christian, he goes out and he finds young Timothy. And young Timothy, he leads to the Lord. And then Timothy is called into the ministry. And Timothy goes out and he begins preaching and teaching, eventually becoming a pastor of a church. 
And as he does these things, it's a great blessing. And this is the result of ministry and the work of the ministry in a church. Churches grow, people grow spiritually. That spiritual growth comes in and then churches begin to have that cohesive bond. It's almost like that super glue that holds us together that nothing can then pull us apart. And that's what a church ought to be. A church should never be about disputings. A church should never be about argumentations and, and problems and troubles and trials because all those things are taken care of at the cross. The blood has covered that and our leadership is there and, and been given. And I thank the Lord that as we serve in the church, as we serve even here at Calvary Independent Baptist Church, that, that we can continue to live that way and have that spiritual understanding in our lives. There are two men that are mentioned here in verse 20 in the story that we read. He says, Of whom Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, uh, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Well, these uh, men were doing some things that were wrong in the Word of God. At one time, they had been ministers of the gospel as well. They had been going around. They were converts, if you will. And they were going around and doing things for the Lord. They were preaching and teaching. But something happened. The first man, the man by the name of Hymenaeus, uh, he was a heretical teacher. In other words, he spread heresies instead of uh, preaching the truth of the Word of God. Uh, he became an opponent to the Apostle Paul. In other words, it was as though that he was in, uh, in constant uh, opposition of him, but also in constant competition with him as well. And that began to lead to the heresies. If I can say something that is false, and I can get more people to follow me than Paul can get to follow him, then I'll be the big one here. And isn't that the way it is sometimes even in our churches? Churches sometimes begin to get to the point where they begin to allow contemporary worship to come into the house. They begin to allow the contemporary thoughts and, and understandings of the Bible to come into the house because they do not stand fundamentally on the Word of God anymore. And when those things begin to happen, things begin to change in the church, and they do that so that they can say, well, we're the biggest church in the valley, you know. We're the, we're the one that has the biggest ministry. We have the biggest youth group of anybody else in all the churches in this valley just so they can come and get a pat on the back. And if we're ministering so that we can gain numbers, if we're ministering so that we can gain popularity, that then tends to lead to pride. And that pride, dear friends, will lead us to nothing but destruction. We may not be destroyed in this world, but in the world to come, dear friend, that world that Jesus Christ is going to truly be in when He takes the church home, and then we find ourselves still sitting here. How sad would that be? That's what happened to this man. In fact, over in 2 Timothy chapter 2, if we could turn there very quickly, 2 Timothy chapter 2, just a couple of pages over. And look down to verse 17, we find something out about this. In verse 17 it says, And their word will eat as doth a canker of whom Hymenaeus and Philetus. He mentions him there. He tells us exactly what was happening, that this word would eat like a canker or a cancer. In other words, it would begin to grow and grow and grow. 
And so this man was not stopping. He was not trying to stop uh, teaching these heresies. He was was going to do everything he could to make sure that he broke down the ministry of Paul. And Paul's ministry was not about everybody looking to Paul and being a convert of Paul. Paul's ministry was about everyone being a convert of Jesus Christ. And that was the problem, you see. And that is where these things began to get all mixed up and began, the heresies began to come into this. Uh, then we find that uh, Alexander is mentioned that in verse 20 of our text uh, scripture this morning. And there are mentions of other Alexanders in the Bible, but this appears to be the only place where this one man is mentioned. And little or nothing else is said about him except for the fact that he blasphemed the work of the gospel. So preacher, what does that word blaspheme mean? Because he also says it about Hymenaeus as well. It means to speak reproachfully to or to speak evil about someone. To speak reproachfully or evil about someone. That seems to me that we're not supposed to talk about people behind their back, right? Especially when we're thinking about evil things or in a reproachful way. We have to be careful with our speech and our mannerisms. But Alexander was speaking against people. I believe he was speaking against the Apostle Paul. I think he was trying to get people not to believe the Apostle Paul. And I believe what he was doing, he was was telling everybody that that Apostle Paul, he's not Paul. Remember, he used to be Saul, and he breathed out threatenings against the church, and he's just trying to get you to follow him so he can go kill you. How sad. Because that is not what Paul was doing. Again, Paul was trying to lead people to the Lord. These two men were such troublemakers and even apostates. This is what an apostate does. An apostate sometimes will come into our churches and the apostates will sit like you, look like you, even sound like you for a little bit. And then they'll start coming and whispering in your ear, well, what that preacher said, that's not exactly right. Do you really believe what that pastor said about that? Starts putting little elements of doubt in your mind. And all of a sudden, there becomes contention and division in the church, especially under the Word of God. That's what an apostate does. And so we must be careful of people when uh, they come into our congregations and, and, and they begin to breathe these things out in a simple form. And that's just the simplest of it. They then become worse and worse and worse. And that's how churches begin to break up. That's how churches begin to split when we start listening to those things. Listen, dear friend, when somebody comes and has something bad to say to you about something or someone or something that our church is doing or other churches are doing, turn to them and put your hand up in their face and say, No, sir, no, ma'am. I do not want to hear that. I will not listen to that. Amen? So these two men, Hymenaeus and Alexander, this is the the word that they were spreading. This is the doctrine that they were bringing out there. And these two men become shipwrecked just like they did. That's what God's Word says, that holding faith and good conscience in verse 19, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander. These two men had become shipwrecked. 
they started out on the spiritual sea of life and they were serving the Lord. They were doing what was right. And then because of pride or some other thing that the devil brought into their thoughts and their minds, they then began to do what was wrong and they began to be shipwrecked. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, Paul mentions this same thought again. He says, For I verily as absent in the body, but present in the Spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Do you know today that it is possible for anyone to become shipwrecked? And what Paul did here is when they became shipwrecked, he delivered them over to Satan. He had the authority to do that. He had the spiritual authority to do that because of who he was and what God he had served. And I believe at that time, dear friends, this man, he was. these two men were turned over to what is called a reprobate mind. And God allowed those men to eventually disappear. That's why you see no more recollection of Alexander in the Word of God, just like he did with Ananias and Sapphira there in the Bible in the New Testament, where when they disobeyed God and took the money and disobeyed and did not tell about that, they came and when Paul pointed his finger at them, what did they do? They they drop dead immediately. Be careful, dear friends, when we disobey God. Be careful when we walk against God and walk against the favor of God because I can guarantee you, friends, God is not happy or pleased with it. You say, well, I thought God was a loving God and a joyful God. He is, dear friends, but He wants us to be on track with Him. He wants us to obey Him and follow Him in all spiritual truth. So there are some things today that I want to briefly suggest to you that I think might help you to stop from crashing on the rocks of life. And the first thing I think we need to do is exactly what any good person on a ship would do is we need to make sure we look to the captain. Amen. We need to look to the captain. Who is the captain? No, it's not me. I know some of you would say, oh, it's you, Pastor. No, I'm not the captain of this ship. I, I'm just the, uh, I'm the second one, you know. <laughs> Amen. The captain of this ship is Jesus Christ. And if we ever put me in as captain or someone else in as captain, and if you think you can do a better job as captain than Jesus Christ, then you're in for a, a problem, you know. It is not my job to steer the ship. It is Jesus' job to steer the ship. And I just follow along. Amen. When he gives me orders, I just do what he says. And that's what we all are supposed to do, dear friends. Look to the captain. The captain of the ship, of the saved, is clearly identified in verse 17. He says, Now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So I want you to notice, first of all, his constitution. In other words, what he was made up of. The Bible tells us that he is indissoluble. And what that word simply means, it, it means unable to be destroyed. Don't you, aren't you glad today and, and don't you think it's a good thing for our captain to not ever be able to be destroyed? 
our God, our, our captain on high, uh, Jesus Christ, seated at the right hand of the Father, there is no way of destroying him. Satan tried to destroy him, didn't he? He tried to get him up on the cross, and he, I mean, when he was up on the cross and the nails were being put in, Satan was down there and he was rubbing his hands together like this, and he was thinking very greedy-like, and he was saying, Oh, I've got him now. Woo, boy, i got him. He ain't getting loose now. And they took him down from the cross after he gave up his life and gave up the ghost. And he went there into the tomb and they laid him on the tomb. They wrapped him all up. They fixed his body with the oils and things of that day. And so that the the stench of his death would not be coming out. They closed that tomb. And Jesus, oh, he got out of those grave clothes, didn't he? And he went down to hell in our stead. And he fought against the devil. And it was not like it was when he was in the wilderness when the devil was trying to tempt Jesus. He had fought against him and he said, Devil, he said, you give me the keys now. And the devil had nothing to do but to do it because he knew who had spoken to him. It was the Son of God, the very God in flesh. And he gave him the keys and he came back and the stone was rolled away. And as the stone was rolled away, then Jesus came out. Amen. And he was seen of over 500 people after he came out of the grave. And then, as he arose in the clouds, he said this. He said, I will not leave you comfortless, but I will send the promise of my Father. And then he said this, I will come again. And that's what we're waiting on right now, dear friends. He's our captain, you see. And the captain, he's unable to be destroyed. And notice here in this scripture in verse 17, the word eternal. The word eternal is that same word in the, uh, the Greek definition of indissoluble. It means to be unable to be destroyed. Eternity, eternity, eternity. It goes on and on and on forever. And Jesus is the captain of eternity. He is the leader of it as well. Actually, it's the Greek word which means ion or eon if you want to pronounce it that way. And it speaks of forever or an unbroken age, a perpetuity of continuous movement. In other words, it will always, always be going. So let me ask you this question. When did God begin? Well, according to the Word of God, He did not begin. He always has been and always will be. He is eternal. Now, that's difficult for our human minds to grasp and understand. But whether we understand it or not, it is so. Now, how long will God live? Well, the answer to that is forever. How, will, will God have an ending is another question that has been asked. Sooner would all the stars fall out of the sky than for our God to end. Oh, friends... If God ever began or ended, He would not be God. And that is what we think of human beings because that's the mindset that we look at, beginnings and endings. We see little babies in the arms of moms and dads and then we see laying in the casket someone who's passed away at the end of their life. And so we look at life as a beginning and an ending. But listen, dear friends, there was no beginning. There will be no ending with God. God always has been. He always will be. And that's just as simply the way it is. And that's what Paul is saying here. This eternal God, this eternal one, the eternal king, he says, 
In Exodus chapter 8 and verse 10 he said, And he said, Tomorrow. And he said, Be it according to thy word, that thou mayest know that there is none like unto the Lord our God. Deuteronomy chapter 33 and verse 26 says, There is none like unto God of Jeshuan, uh, who rideth upon the heaven in thy help, and in his excellency on the sky. Isaiah 46 and verse 9 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. So we find that he is indissoluble, which means he cannot be destroyed. But we find also that he is immortal. Amen. He's going to live forever. The second part of verse 17 says this, Now unto the king eternal, and then he goes in and he says he is immortal. That simply means he is not liable to decay or corrupt. So if there's no end to him, that means that he is immortal. There will be no end, and he is unable to decay or corrupt. When you and I begin to get a little age upon us, what happens to us? I mean, bones begin to get a little decrepit. Uh, hair begins to fall out. Uh, <laughs> sorry, brother. I, didn't, I don't know why my finger just went that way. <laughs> you know. Our eyesight begins to be gone. Lord, have mercy. Let me put them things back on. Our eyesight goes. I mean, we get a little limp in our walk, you know, because our back's killing us. We, our joints are hurting. Old Arthur comes to visit us, and he stays, moves in with us. And then we have to feed him and do all those things like that, you know. And age comes. Our body decays. You comb your hair, you brush your hair in the morning, and it's in the brush, you know, or the comb. Our, our skin, our very skin begins to fail, begins to get withered and dry, and it rolls up sometimes. Age, decaying. And then one day we lay in that casket, if the Lord doesn't come back before then. We lay in that casket right there. All eyes upon us that walk by us if the casket is open and they see that decayed body. And then some people say, Oh, do not they look good? <laughs> it's always bothered me when people come by a casket and say, Oh, they look so good. <laughs> you know, it looks just like they're asleep. <laughs> oh, my goodness. We get so silly sometimes, don't we? So we find that our captain, his constitution is, is the fact that it cannot be destroyed and that he is immortal. Uh, there's no decaying. There's no corruption in him. And uh, these things do not happen to him. God does not decay. He never has a backache. He never has a headache. There's no arguing or aging with God. Uh, he is what he was and always will be what he is. Uh, that is a part of his name. That's what Jehovah means. Jehovah means he is the self existent God number three he is also invisible he's invisible look at the next part of the verse 17 he says unto the king eternal immortal invisible y'all remember that, that TV show it used to come on years ago called the invisible man yeah I watch TV every once in a while and I know y'all do too because you're shaking your heads like this the invisible man. Now, can you imagine waging a war against an invisible person? 
I mean, you'd never know where they were, you know. You say, oh, preacher, we could take a bucket of white paint and we can toss out there. How do you know where he is to toss the paint at? I mean, he may be standing right there, and the next second he's over here, and you thought he was there. Oh, we'll get him. We'll get him in a barrage of bullets. He could be laying on the ground, <laughs> and we'd never know. We'd step on him. We wouldn't realize it was him we stepped on. We could have thought it was. Our, we stumbled on our own feet. Our God is invisible today. God is unseen. One whose being cannot be fully viewed with human eyes. That's one thing that Moses asked of God, remember? To see him. But God told him that you would not be able to see me. And so he allowed him to see the glory as, as God passed by. And just being up there on the mountaintop changed the countenance of, of Moses. He was not ever the same after that. And after we come in contact with Jesus, there will never be another time that we'll ever be like we are right now, dear friends. No one can stop my God. He can go anywhere He wants to and be anywhere He wants to be. If He wants to go right now, He can go. If He wants to stay right now, He can stay. Though He be invisible, Jesus was revealed in Him and declared unto us. God wanted us to be able to see Him. And that's why He brought Jesus into the world to save us. But He wanted to put some form or some fashion on who He was. And so Jesus comes into this earth and He takes on the likeness of man. He was as much man and flesh and bone as I am right now. He was not some super being. He was flesh and bone was just like us. He laid down aside there for just a few moments all the blessings that He had, all the power that He had in heaven and came down to earth to be just like us so He could experience and show you that you can in this body live a Christian life. Amen? If you just honor and trust in the Word of God. And it was so hard for him that, that evening when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane and he knew what was about to happen and he kneels down and he prays and he says, Father, let this cup pass for me, but if not, let thy will be done. It was hard for him in his flesh to deal with that. You say, oh, preacher, you just don't know what I'm going through. You don't know the pressures and the troubles and trials that I'm, I'm going through. Friends, we've never been through the pressure and troubles and trials that Jesus went through. How many of you have ever been nailed to a cross? How many of you have ever been beaten with a cat of nine tails? How many have ever been pushed off and away and, and run away from? He's invisible. We also find, number four, that he has insight. He tells us there, not only is he invisible, but he is also, what does he say there? Ah, a wise one, right? He has wisdom. That shows us that God has insight. God knows what's going on. He forms the best plans and brings those best plans to, to fruition. He makes things happen. God knows everything. But he did not have to go to school to acquire that knowledge, did he? Now, I'm going to be honest with you, dear friends. You may think that you have to go to school to learn things, but right here is your best textbook that you'll ever have. Now, you may have to go to school, some trade school, for the work and the type of work that you do, but in knowledge of life and everything that deals with life, this is your textbook. This is your manual. Amen? 
And that's what we go by, and that's what we're supposed to go by. And we find that also not only was there this uh, constitution that we want you to see about Jesus, but also his adoration. People admired him. People looked to him. And they should still do the same thing. People should want to adore him today. He's deserving of all of our praise. When I come into this house and I preach this lesson, I don't want your praise. I'm giving you God's message today. When you teach a Sunday school class or do something for the Lord, you should not want those pats on the back and the, oh, wow, you did such a good job. Listen, we might tell you that. We might give you those accolades because we are human. But God does not desire that. God does not necessarily have those, those wants or those needs. But we're still yet to praise Him Amen. and Him alone. We're to adore Him. We're to give honor to Him for His redemption. Uh, he purchased us in our salvation for his rank. Oh, wow, what about that? He's not just commander-in-chief. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. Amen? His state and his office is the highest that there ever is and ever could be. And by the way, all of his riches, do you know that God owns it all? He owns the pews that you're sitting on right now. He owns the clothes on your back. But he also owns your back, dear friends. He owns you. Now, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to give glory to him. The word doxa, in, uh, when we think about a doxology or we think about glory or praise, that's what the praise and worship actually comes from in the Greek language. And it means for pray and worship and ascribe to him his worth. We're to give an amen to him. Amen? amen? Amen means to let it be or let it be so. I have a message on, on amen that I'll speak to you about sometime, about the Chinese amen. We need to also listen to the charge that is given here. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 18, he says this, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, and thou by them mightest war a good warfare. If we want to be good soldiers for Jesus Christ, we need to make sure that we adore our Lord, that we honor our Lord, and we listen to his charge. When he, the captain says to charge, when he says go forward, then we must go forward. We cannot sit still. We cannot stay behind. We cannot say, well, I'm not ready. Because if you're not ready, dear friends, the boat's still going and you're going to be left behind. I used to tell my family when we'd get ready to go somewhere and there was always someone lagging behind and I might be already out the door or sitting in the vehicle and I said, if you're riding this train, you better come on because we're pulling out. You know? Listen, dear friends. If you're riding the ship with Jesus, you better make sure that you're ready to go because the ship's going to pull out one of these days. He's coming. The trumpet call is about to be blown. We need to listen to the charge. We need to fight with weapons. Our greatest weapon is the Word of God. And we're to put on the whole armor of God. That's what Ephesians chapter 6 tells us, that we're to put on the whole armor because if you go fight and you use the Word of God, there are going to be fiery darts from the devil, fiery darts from this world, and they're going to be shot back at you just as straight as an arrow could fly, dear friends. And you better make sure you have your armor on. You better make sure you have these pieces on, on your entire body. 
And, and we're not just fighting with weapons. We're fighting to win today, friends. We know that our God has already won. And as I come here and pastor this church, I'm fighting to win. I'm not fighting to lose, dear friends. I'm fighting to win souls, the souls of your families, the souls of your boys and girls, the souls of your moms and dads and grandparents and aunts and uncles, all those souls. I'm fighting to win those souls today. We fight to win. Another reason we fight is to please God. Paul said, I have fought a good fight. Oh, friends, when the going gets tough, the tough should keep on going. Amen? And then we're to live by faith. Praise God for faith today. Holding faith and a good conscience is what he tells us. We're not to, delete, to deviate from the truth. We ourselves are to make sure that we have a good conscience because a defiled conscience does not produce the right quality or spirit of life. So we need to make sure that as we're fighting that we're living by faith so that we can have that right conscience in our mind. Did you come in here today with a wrong conscience? Did you come in here today with something else on your mind? Was the devil already in your mind when you walked in this building today? Was he already on your shoulder tapping you and talking to you when you walked in this building? If it was, you should have come immediately to that altar and asked God to get that devil off your back. You should have asked God right then to stand up for you and to fight for you and then God would tell you, fight back at that devil because he ain't nothing but an ugly, no good for nothing, low down creature. You just go ahead and spit in the devil's eye, amen, and tell him that you do not like him. In fact, it's okay to go ahead and tell the devil that you hate him, right? Because the devil is up to no good. He's wanting to kill you. Now, if someone came in this church, we have security, but if someone came in this church and was trying to harm some of you, that security would stand up against them. I personally would stand up against them to save each and as many of you as I could. If it meant my very death, I would stand up for you. And that's what Jesus does for us. He has stood up for us over and over and over again. It's now time that we stand up for him. Amen. Stand up. Stand up. The battle is raging, friends. All around us, can you not see it? The way our world is, the situation our world is in, the war is raging right now, and we've got to go out and fight, but we better make sure we have that right conscience. Your conscience, the mind of Christ, should be what you're looking for. When you go to work, when you go to the grocery stores, when you get in your car in the mornings and you drive down the road for whatever you do, in the evenings when you come back home, you better make sure that you're fighting for the right thing. Amen. Your children are important. We took the youth out and some of the uh, uh, still youth adults <laughs> went and had a good time the other night there with the youth outing. But we were able to go to a place and do the things that we did with a Christian attitude with smiles on our faces and happiness in our hearts and the joy of the Lord was with us. 
when we left that place, the place looked as clean as it was when we got there. Amen. We didn't leave a bunch of junk or trash like a lot of people would. Thank you, Sister Heather, for helping out. You see, we had the right conscience when we went in there. We had the right frame of mind when we went in there. We wanted to make sure that we as Christians, when we left that place, people would know that was a church that was down there. When those other people came in beside of us and was louder than all this that they was going on. Well, I know some of the adults got louder, but that's okay. <laughs> well, we left a good example. Amen. We left that place. He gave us some cards to give to some of the young people. And I still have some if you hadn't got yours. He gave us some cards to give to some of the young people for some free games. He doesn't do that with everybody. He said, Preacher, bring them back sometime. I said, I will. This is my point, friends. We have to make sure that whatever we do, wherever we go, that our conscience is right with God. That little voice on the inside of you, you know. Make sure it's right. Now, there is a phrase, and I used to tell this to my song leader in one of my former churches. He said, you know, I heard that we're supposed to let our conscience be our God. Well, the only time you ever let your conscience be your God is when it's God speaking to you. Amen. You better be careful about that. So let's make sure that we stand up and fight for the Lord. And we do this so that we do not become shipwrecked. Because at any moment, at any moment, the water level could lower and there could be a, some jagged rocks out there that can catch us. And jagged rocks are the first thing on the shoulder of the devil, you know, to try to catch us up and let us rip the side of our ship open. And there we are shipwrecked and going down with a ship. And a ship that could be and is supposed to be unsinkable can go down in the icy waters just like the Titanic did. And many souls lost their lives that day. Imagine how many souls would lose their lives if you or I went down in the spiritual waters and never came back up. Imagine how many people we could have led to the Lord in our own lives if we would have just stayed afloat and got to the shore. You know where the shore is, friends? The shore is heaven. That blessed promised land that one day we're going to get to. Are you going? Are you going? Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed today. I'm going to pray a prayer and ask the song leader and musician to come. When I get through praying this prayer and they begin to start playing, I'm going to ask you this, friends. Just things in your life that are causing you to be shipwrecked. Are you like Hymenaeus and are you like Alexander? Are you like Philetus that he mentioned to us also who walked away? Are you in jeopardy of sinking? Are you going down right now? then friends, you can come up to this altar and you can speak to God. You can come take me by the hand and I'll do everything I can to help you. Friend, listen to me. It's very important today that you do not leave this building as a shipwreck. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, as we come before your throne of grace, I thank you for your goodness. Father, it is such a blessing to know that you're our God and that you do love us and you do care for us. But, Father, there's a work to do, and we know it. And, Father, we want to be part of the work. We don't want to be left behind. We don't want to be out on the sea of life and, Lord, run into something that could cause us harm and, and cause us to sink right there. But, Father, we want to move forward. We want to get to the other shore. We want to get to heaven. And, Father, we want to get there in the best way we can, the way that you have provided for us. And so, Father, help us to have the strength to do that. Lord, maybe someone here today, Lord, they've failed. They've, they've walked away. They've slipped. And, Father, I'm asking you to let them come today. Make those things right with you, and we'll give you praise and honor for these things. In Jesus' name we pray. I'm going to ask you to look this way, sister. What number? 233. Get your hymnal on. Let's sing. God's asked you to do, dear friends, I'm asking you to respond. You say, preacher, everybody will see me when I come up there. That's okay. The only one that really makes a difference when, if he sees you is Jesus Christ. And all you need to do is come up to that altar and kneel down and pray. If you're lost, if you do not know for sure that you're saved, you come up here and you ask Jesus to come into your heart. You ask him to forgive you of your sins. You confess those sins before him. Let him know that you know you're a sinner and you're lost. And then... You ask him to come into your heart and get saved. If there is some other need, you come up here and you pray and you tell God what that need is, and God will answer that request. How about it? Let's sing. We need all the love that we can give back to our Lord. Amen. Amen. And we can still have all the love for family and friends here in this world. And we can still give the love to God that he wants. Remember what he asked Peter? Peter, do you love me? He asked him three times. And, and on those three times, Peter, Peter got upset and said, Lord, you know I love you. And what did Jesus say? Then feed my sheep. We're here to feed, ain't we? I know ain't's not good language, but we said it anyway. <laughs> yes, I did go to school. I didn't always listen. <laughs> Let's go out of here today with smiling faces and hearts full of God and be ready to come in contact with someone and share what Jesus has done for us. And let's not be a shipwreck. Amen. All right. Let's all be dismissed in a word of prayer. Father, as we come before your throne of grace, we thank you again for your goodness. We do thank you for that grace, Lord, and the mercy that's been applied to our lives. And, Father, we don't know where we would be at today if we had not received you. 
But, Father, we're so glad that we did receive you. We're so glad we have been saved and we're on our way to heaven. Father, we can almost hear the Glory Land Express now coming down around the bend. And we ask you, Lord, to help us. Help us, Lord, to hear it. Help us, Lord, to get on it. Help us, Lord, to make sure we have that ticket purchased, purchased with your blood, and we'll give you praise and honor and glory. Now, Father, as we go back out into this world, Lord, we sometimes feel safe in our churches and secure, but when we walk out into the world, it's a new, it's a new day, it's a new story. Father, help us to stay strong out there. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless each one of you.